Hi, I'm Lizza Gabby, the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. Today I have with me Ade Hassan, the founder of Nubian Skin, a lingerie brand for women of color. She launched in 2014 with four staple shades, berry, cinnamon, caramel, and cafe au lait. They currently ship worldwide and they're stocked in House of Fraser, Fenneca Bond Street and ASOS, as well as retailers in the US, Nigeria and Caribbean. Ade sees Nubian skin as more than just a fashion brand. It's about empowering women to embrace their differences. She's one of a kind and she's one of the first lingerie brands to cater to women of colour. In this conversation, we talk about how being a woman of colour is a blessing, how to be strategic with limited time and building the right team. My career up until I started Nubian Skin was mainly finance. Um, I'd worked in an investment bank and then took a year off. Uh, I went to live in Paris, which had always been one of my dreams. And I came back to London and needed a job because I needed to live and um, tried consulting, which um, turned out not to be my cup of tea. But it was while I was consulting that I came up with the idea of Nubian Skin um, because that was a frustration that I'd had my whole life was just never being able to find a nude bra um, or, you know, just it being very difficult to find tights that worked in my skin tone. And so I remember it was sort of like a light bulb moment. And I thought, okay, you know what, this is what I want to do because I had always wanted to start my own business. And um, I knew that I would need to save a considerable amount of money to start the business. So I started applying for jobs back in finance just because that those were better paid. And so left consulting yeah. after a year um, and then went back into finance for three years before I transitioned full time over to Nubian Skin. So during that three years, were you still working on Nubian Skin? Uh, good question. Um, I had the idea in my head, but I wasn't actively working on it. I didn't actively start working on Nubian Skin till the summer of 2013. Um, so I'd left, I'd started sort of my new job at the end of 2011. Um, and then I didn't start working on it for you know, about a year and a half. Um, and then it took me a year and a half from when I started actively working on it till when I launched. And what made you realise that this was time for you to leave your full-time job and actually venture into entrepreneurship? I'd always had a hard stop. Um, once I started working on it and sort of seeing where I was, there were certain deals that I was working on. And one of them was closing at the end of the year. That was the end of 2014. Um, and things really started kicking off uh, the summer of 2014 because one of our campaign images went viral. Yes. And so that's when I was sort of juggling two things and realizing that, okay, actually this, this thing's like taken a life of its own. Um, but I'd been very open with my team and they'd been incredibly supportive. And I knew that at the end of the year, the deal that I was working on was going to end. Um, and so it was just sort of a perfectly natural transition because then I didn't have any more, I wasn't taking on any more deals. Yeah. Um, and the deal that I was working on was coming to a close. Okay. And you don't actually have bra making skills. So <laughs> you literally did everything from scratch. Yes. So could you talk about the process that you went through and also how you went around fighting the shades? Because I know you had to go into like the Mac 
stores and stuff like that to help you? Yeah. Um, so, goodness, right. I, I was pretty naive. You know, I just kind of thought, surely this is going to be relatively easy. Like I've got a timeline and it was not easy. I thought I would get it done in three months and then be able to launch. And it took a year and a half um, because the first problem I ran into was it's hard to find manufacturers in general yeah. online. It definitely was back then. And um, when I would send emails out, I just didn't get responses. And I just didn't know, I didn't know who to contact, yeah. quite frankly. And and so I did a bit of Googling and found a consultant who was an expert in the industry, um, made her sign a non-disclosure agreement and met with her and then told her the idea and told her the problem that I was having with finding manufacturers. And she was the one who said, you know what, go to trade shows. That's where you'll meet all the suppliers, all the manufacturers. Um, and so that was the beginning of actually finally figuring out, okay, this is how I sort of can, that's my gateway into the industry. Yeah. Um, and then the colors, <laughs> no fabric suppliers did nude browns, right? So they have beige, basically beige, black and white. Those are the standard colors. And so I um, needed to create them. So I went to different makeup counters and I had a book of Pantone skin tone swatches and I just spoke to lots of different makeup counters and tried to match them to these Pantones. Thought I did, sent those off to the manufacturer and they came back and they just weren't skin tone colors. They weren't colors that would work nicely as skin. So it was then sending swatches back and forth to the manufacturer saying, I think we need to add more yellow, we need to add more red, like this needs to be deeper. Uh, and then testing it on myself and my family and friends uh, so that until we found something that actually worked as a skin tone as opposed to just like a chocolate brown. So just to go back a bit, you mm. mentioned that you went back to work to save up. Mm. How come you didn't decide to seek um, external finance? It wasn't something that was on my radar at that point. Okay. Um, I I just thought that I could save and I could do it. And if I believed in the idea that I could, I knew I would be able to save a decent amount of money. Okay. Um, and... I also knew that if I really believed in it, then I should put my money where my mouth was. Okay. Um, and <laughs> I also didn't quite realize um, what a beast retail is. So there's a bit of naivety in there, but a bit of like, I can just do this on my own. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I did it because it forced me to learn a lot very, very quickly. And you managed all your PR, you managed getting your brand into the different stores as well. And how did you manage to do that with such a small team? <laughs> that's a good question sometimes I wonder that myself um, so it was just a matter of do it I, I think we, when you're small and you've got finite resources you just kind of think okay well this needs to get done so we'll get it done um, so when it came to PR we were really really fortunate that um, our image went viral because then we got inbound press requests right so that was your campaign your first yeah campaign, that was right? the first campaign and so literally out of nowhere we were getting you know BuzzFeed and the Mail Online the Independent contacting us <laughs> asking for um, image rights and I was like I don't know what that means <laughs> um, so there was a lot of googling um, and uh, so yeah so that was I mean that was that we didn't have PR we couldn't pay for PR we couldn't afford PR um, but that was pretty organic which was amazing. Um, and then when it came to getting into retailers, we went to a trade show. So obviously okay. at the beginning I'd learned, okay, go to trade shows because that's how you meet suppliers. But that's also where buyers go to see different brands. And okay. so we um, we just set up at a trade show and didn't really know what we were doing. But we had like our collection and pamphlets and business cards. And, you know, we were handing it out and speaking to people that came up to us. And so that was kind of how we did it. That's just how we got our first... Um, our first retail clients. 
Amazing. And you've also had quite a few celebrities wear your brand, such as Beyonce. Mm -hmm. How did that take place? Uh, again, that's been, um, I feel like a broken record, but that was really organic. It was, and I think that's just testament to the fact that it was a product that was needed. So obviously in entertainment and in just in, in life, right, there's so many women of color who are out there doing amazing things and they don't have a simple thing like a nude bra or nude undergarments. And so with um, the Beyonce thing, we got an email from one of her stylists saying, uh, we'd love to work with you on the formation tour. Beyonce and her dancers would love to wear, you know, whatever, all these pieces underneath their costumes. And I didn't believe it. I thought it was a scam um, because Beyonce, <laughs> like Beyonce, like you just don't get that, yeah. you don't get that email. And so I didn't respond to it. But then I forwarded the email to a few friends who work in the industry and they were like, we know him, respond now. And so I, I was then like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And so, yeah, that just happened it was an organic thing because yeah. it was a need that was being fulfilled. And did that help improve your sales? People always ask me that question. I think if Beyonce had put on her Instagram, I'm wearing Nubian skin, yeah. our scales would have gone through the roof. Um, but it was more of a it was more of a kudos thing okay. where people, um, you know, we shouted about it, obviously. And so, you know, some press people picked it up and it was more of a thing like, oh my goodness, Nubian skin's worn by Beyonce. Um, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't an endorsement per se. So yeah. there wasn't that like crazy, you know, like Oprah or Beyonce says wear this. So you've been going for quite a few years now and your parents are also entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What do they do? And are they also part of what drives you as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I'd have to say I've always looked up to my parents um, and I've always wanted to basically be my mother. And so um, when I was little and she was like a businesswoman, I was like, I want to be a businesswoman. Didn't know what it meant, but I wanted to be it. Um, and so, yeah, my parents are definitely, definitely uh, inspirations to me on so many levels. Um, and yes, they are both entrepreneurs. My dad's um, in healthcare, he's a doctor um, and, um, you know, has his own... Uh, practices and my mum is also um, she's had several businesses throughout her career mostly actually also related in the healthcare field and so they're just um, they're a fountain of knowledge which I should really tap more often yeah um, but they're definitely just huge inspirations to me and they've like supported you from the beginning and even when you left your full-time job and everything <laughs> my parents are probably um, incredibly I mean, I've had so many different ideas of things that I've wanted to do, like when everybody was trying to keep their jobs in finance up during the financial crisis. And I, you know, told my parents that I wanted to quit to go to Paris. And my mom was like, that sounds great. I love it. She's like, I wish I did that when I was younger. I'd definitely do it. You know, and then my dad was on board. And so they've always supported my craziest, craziest dreams. Um, and I think it's also because they're comfortable in the fact that, you know, I have a good education and I've had good jobs and so if everything else went belly up at least I can get a job yeah so something to fall back on exactly but they've been incredibly supportive it's brilliant um so in terms of being a woman mm -hmm. and a woman of color do you feel that there are any challenges that you have faced yes uh in in a way I actually think being a woman of color in this particular business that I have decided to do mm. is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's been beneficial because it's one thing if you say I'm gonna create this product um for women of color and people look at you and they go, 
that's interesting. You're not a woman of color, so why should I buy from you? But when people can tell that it's from my experience and that I can understand their experience, then they're like, yes, you get me. Of course, I'm going to support you. Of course, I want to buy from you because I know that it's coming from a place of authenticity. Um, so in that regard, I think it's been a, it's been amazing and it's been a blessing. Um, obviously, there's situations where you maybe have a meeting with a buyer and you say, you know, what do you think of this? And they're like, oh, we love it. It's great. And they're like, brilliant. You know, would you like to stock it in your store? And they're like, yeah, it's a bit of a risk. And you just mm. think what exactly about it is a risk because it's not it's not a trend you know like yeah. people women of color aren't going to change overnight into a different color and so there's definitely that frustration um, of people needing to be educated some people get it like that um, I know ASOS was one of our first stockists and they were just amazed they approached us um, but for a lot of other people it's definitely been an education and people getting over their biases so um because you have such a small team, I'm sure you have so many things to do. How do you manage your day and your time effectively? One of it's just been out of necessity is having to be strategic. And so um, I realized at one point that I was just getting very overwhelmed because, as you said, there was a lot to do. And um, I was wearing lots of different hats, whether that's finance, logistics, operations, manufacturing, design. And, and so that it was just quite a lot. And so I decided to break my week down into the days so the five days and I would say okay Monday I'm going to focus on these two things so Monday maybe would be finance and retailers and then Tuesday would be uh, manufacturing and stock so broke it down so that I had a specific focus for each day obviously I was doing other tasks yeah besides the specific ones but I knew that I would get all of those things done on the specific date was assigned and then I also took to breaking down my day into 30 minute increments so that I could just make some sense it was obviously you have to be flexible because things you know yeah. things pop up but I just needed some sort of structure so I felt like I had a little bit of control um, and that worked for, for quite a while and then as you grow and as you get more responsibilities it got if I'm, if I'm speaking 100% honestly it got to the point especially at the beginning of this year where it was too much yeah you can do a lot, um, and I always think people underestimate how much they can do, uh, but you can also do too much and end up doing things that are not good for your mental health. And so um, it got to the point where I realized that I was doing things that I just couldn't handle. There's only so mm -hmm. much one person can handle. There was only, there were only two people on the team. And so um, then it was time to get more help. It was time to grow the team. And how have you found it hiring? Hiring. Um, hiring's... Uh, Hiring's interesting. It's brilliant being an entrepreneur because you get to build your team. And I think that's actually a really wonderful thing. And you get to decide what kind of workplace you want to have. But we've had, like, I would say it's a 50-50 hit rate. Um, sometimes people come in and they are phenomenal. Mm. You know, and they get it and they take ownership of things. And you're like, okay, I can actually trust you. I can trust you to run with this. Um, and then sometimes it's just not quite a fit. Um, working at a small startup is really stressful and it takes a lot of initiative and so that isn't for everybody and so I've learnt to uh, well they always say hire slowly fire quickly yeah um, which is a bit harsh but it is something that um, I've become better at and it's something that unfortunately it is sad when you have to let people go but you also have to do what's best for the business and so um, yeah so it's been a series of We've had some amazing people and right now the team is phenomenal and I'm really, really excited about it and it's still growing. But it's all about getting that fit and getting people who can work in the kind of environment that a startup is because it is really stressful. So when did you know it was time for you to go global? 
when I started Nibinsk and I'd always known that we were going to ship internationally. Um, so that was that was something that we'd put in place with the warehouse to be able to ship abroad. And with regards to our retailers, one of the first retailers that we met at the trade show was a large US retailer. It was Nordstrom. Yes, Nordstrom. And so I just said yes to everything and then went to figure out what I had said yes to because I didn't understand half of the terms, actually probably 70% of the terms that they were asking for. Um, but I just knew it was an opportunity that I shouldn't say no to. And then from there, trade shows are quite international. You get buyers from everywhere. And so um, just taking advantage of those opportunities. And America is your biggest market, right? It is, yes. Why do you feel that may be in comparison to the UK? Mm, uh, the population's bigger. They just have a much, much larger yeah. population of, of women of colour. And also, um, I think there's just, you know, there's also a very big drive to supporting, especially among the black community, supporting other black-owned businesses. Yeah. Um, and so that's just a, um, it's a great combination of things, which means that it's a big market for us. And in terms of future plans, is there anything new that you have coming out or what plans do you have? Um, well, we are um, going to be fundraising for the first time, oh, um, okay. coming full circle, full call back to one of your first questions. Um, so that's that's something new for us. And okay. so excited to, to sort of delve into that. And then um, we're also coming out with some new collections. We've got a really exciting one, which is going to be launching with ASOS next month called Coco by Ines. And it's a bit of a diffusion, more athleisure focused yeah, uh, collection. So yeah, super excited nice. for that. And what made you decide to fundraise? Realizing that we needed to scale. Obviously, when um, you know, we sort of were the trailblazers in the industry, but you've got competition, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we want to stay ahead of the curve. And we, there's so many things that we want to do, and you just need more firepower to do that. Definitely. So Ade, before you go, there's a segment in the podcast that I'd love for you to take part of. It's called Ask FWL, and it's where we give the members of our community the opportunity to ask a question. It's a mixture of questions about business or about building a career or about mental health, anything really. Our question today is from Bami from Bam Bam Boogie Dance Fitness. Hi, um, my question is, how do you know when to start to hire people to come on full time? Right now, I'm currently using freelancers. However, as things get busier, I would really love to bring someone on full time. But I know obviously that has tax implications and all things like that. So it's like, when do you know that it's time for you to bring on your first ever full time employee? Thank you. So if the cost of the freelancers is starting to um, add up to the cost of a full-time employee, just get somebody dedicated because, I mean, there's no point really. Then you have a dedicated resource who's going to be working on your venture the whole time. And then also I think you'll know once you reach a point where you literally cannot handle it yourself, you need to bring somebody else on. And I think I mentioned that I, I took it a little bit too far. I didn't build the team quickly enough when I should have and again if your stress levels are such that they are not manageable then you definitely need to bring in full-time help. Um, So wrapping up I know you've attributed a lot of your success to like organicness and people supporting you such as influencers but if you were to give um, three top tips to someone who wants to start a fashion brand and also get into these big stores what would they be? I'd say probably my first tip is execution is everything uh, a lot of times people have amazing ideas, just brilliant, brilliant ideas, but they don't execute properly. Um, it's, it's as simple as having a good website with good quality images. You know, if somebody goes onto a website and you're talking about this amazing thing 
and then you go on and the website looks like it's um, it's rudimentary, you're going to be like, I don't know if I'm going to put yeah. my credit card details into this. And so um, execution is just so important because it's it's your first impression to anyone. Mm. Um, and so I think if you have a brilliant idea, just make sure the execution is done really, really well. So um, that's things like social, yeah, your website. That, exactly. So that's things like... Um, exactly your website, your social, the way that you respond to customers. Nobody's going to get it 100% right all the time, but just yeah. make sure that you're you're doing it on a professional level. Um, the second, I would say, is take the leap. A lot of times people just, they're too scared. And then that's a legitimate thing because being an entrepreneur is not easy. And it's not for the faint of heart. But sometimes I think people just hold on to things and hold on to things or forget to just splash out. Just if you're going to do it, just do it properly. And don't be scared to take that leap because otherwise you'll just... 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever and just be like oh I wish I did this you know and that's like that that would be I always think like even if everything blows up and it's terrible I'll never think what if because I tried it and then third I'd say just have faith in yourself because um I think so often we, we we feel like we're not enough or we feel like we're not, especially women. <laughs> Sometimes I think we just, we're like, oh, ah, maybe, I, maybe I, I can't do it. Like you can. A lot of times you can actually do a lot more than you think you can. But in a similar vein, you can handle a lot, but you can't do everything yourself. So you do need to ask for help. Okay, so um, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming in and for giving us your time. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And for more inspiring stories, you can visit forworkingladies.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review so that others can find us more easily. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.